So, hey, everybody. Sorry. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. On the – can you please turn the volume down in your headphones? Sorry. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back to All Each Other Has. Um, this is part two of our episode all about sleepaway camp. In the last episode, we kind of gave a cultural history of sleepaway camps in the American imagination, which, as you know by now, is our favorite phrase. And we also started to get into our own experience at an all-girls sleepaway camp in Maine. I went as a camper for eight summers. Ellie went for five. She started a little late. Oh. I started a little early. <laughs> And yeah, thank you so much for coming back. Especially because we we went on so many tangents last time and I can't guarantee we won't do the same this time. But yeah, thank you for listening to us go through all of the very specific and random traditions from our camp. And we want to set the record straight on something, don't we, Ellie? After feedback from one of our dedicated listeners, Alana, who happened to go to Camp Vega, which... Uh I'm sorry to say we didn't speak of that kindly in the previous episode. It's not that we have a problem with Vega. I think it's just the role of Vega in <laughs> the redacted our camp imagination, <laughs> um, which is that it's in stark contrast to it, um, that Vega is fancy, that when we were younger, we were told that the girls at Vega walk around playing on their Game Boys and... <laughs> Another thing. And um, also, I think Vega is somewhat marred in the redacted imagination because of what happens at a camp social with a boys camp called Cedar, which we call the Cedar Bowl. And it's a trivia competition. And when I say social, I mean, it's an event. Well, let me just say too that Alana, I feel like we sort of did Vega dirty last episode. And it's, you know, we love you. And I love the camp friends of yours that I've met, you know, I think maybe we're just a little jealous because Camp Cedar would call us dogwood and they would always be like, wish we had, a, you know, because Vega girls were hot. I wish we had a social with Vega instead of these ugly yeah. chicks. But well, if- at the Cedar Bowl, Cedar and our camp would, you know, the oldest age groups respectively would lead cheers against the other camp. The Cedar Bowl is a Jeopardy-like competition that you have to audition for that Cedar always cheated on, Mm. by the way. I have real problem with Cedar. (laughs) I I will always stand Camp Androscock and boys. Yeah, Anyways, they would cheer, we want Vega. We want Vega. I think we're just bitter. you know, it was that Vega girls apparently had their hair straightened or they were hot or they wore more makeup. But you know what? Us acting that way, especially now and doing it in retrospect, Ellie, we're kind of acting like pick-me girls, Mm -hmm. you know? I think Mm -hmm. we talked about this in that we're acting like we're better than some other group of girls or some other girls camp because we're like, oh, well, we're all natural and we don't wear makeup and do this and that. Right. We are total pick-me girls right now. <laughs> well, or at least we were when we, we were. Yeah, anti-Vega. sorry. Last episode, we were very picnic girls. In fact, this shirt. Oh, we're also so, just as campers. Isn't this shirt so Dawson's Creek? I can't see it. It's too blurry because of your bad internet, as <sighs> usual. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was in the Cedar Bowl once. I was in it as a counselor and maybe once as a camper. How did you do? So I really screwed up because the question was, what is the piece of or what is the skin called that's between the bottom of your nose and your upper lip? Isn't it the the Cupid's bow or something? But they wanted a scientific name. Oh my god, I have no idea. And the name is philtrum. And I was so confident I raised my hand and I said fulcrum, <laughs> which was embarrassing. It's okay. Well, I was in it when we were campers, and I'll never forget the question was, who invented the light bulb? I said Thomas Edison, but it was Alexander Graham Bell. And now I will never forget that. No, Alexander thing. Graham Bell invented, invented the, the telephone. telephone. <laughs> well, anyway. It's funny that you still got it wrong. We were... <laughs> <laughs> We were acting like pick me girls last episode about our camp versus Vega. And for that, we're so yeah. sorry. Woman on woman crime should not be a thing. And right. The people you, we should really girls. be hating are, are know, Cedar our Boys. Cedar Boys. Right. Totally. I mean, did you like socials as a camper? Loved. Loved. Okay. <laughs> Explain the social experience starting with when it's broken at lunchtime. Well, I think that when I was I, – I, I think I was into them my sophomore and junior summers, so when I was 13 and 14, because we had gone to an all-girls school. I had never gone to school with boys. We had no men in our household um, since our cousin Jeff lived with us when I was like in second grade and you were in preschool. So yeah, I just really didn't – boys were like very foreign and mysterious to me. And I was really excited about socials and I would find a way to secretly straighten my hair. Well, well, explain how you find out, you know, everything at camp is always a surprise for the campers. Right. So right. how do you first, how, how do you get the news that there's going to be a social? Right. It's announced at lunch. Just explain that. I mean, yeah, it was announced at lunch and the counselors would always find like a fun way to announce it, whether it be like a a song or a dance or a cheer or something. But anyway, I'll never forget my first social ever was with Camp Cobbesey. And I remember dancing to, I think I was like a freshman. So gosh, I was so young and I was dancing we'll to- say a freshman is 12 years old. Like 12 so years old. 11 turning 12, right? Wow, that's crazy. Because you have yeah. a summer birthday. I'm pretty sure it was this, I was that old or maybe it was sophomore summer. I'm not sure. But I remember I never really been to a, a dance besides Goddard Gaties in New York City, which were so tame and silly. And church dances or Knickerbocker, which is ballroom at, at least for me, it was tame. And um, I remember I was dancing with this guy with frosted tips and Hot in Here by Nelly came on and we started grinding in the way that I don't know if kids still do this. I really hope they don't where the guy just grabs, you, you know, grabs you from behind, puts his hands on your hips, and you just sort of like move back and forth and, you know, pray that you don't feel a boner. And it's really humiliating. And um, I remember thinking, this is the dirtiest thing ever because of the lyrics. It's getting hot in here. Let's take off all our clothes. But I think on the whole, I just, I liked socials. I got excited about them until I was a senior. And then I was like, this is stupid. Why would I waste any time out of camp? Okay, so that's really interesting, a lot of what you just said, especially just the concept of 
grinding, which is something I only really, I think, culturally experienced the tail end of, maybe at bar and bat mitzvahs, but just the idea that someone you don't know and have never spoken to can come up to you from behind and start rubbing up on you is so weird. It's so insane. And I never, ever... Uh, hooked up with anyone or or grinded with anybody at socials. I also think by the time that I was in the older half of the bunk line, socials had changed a bit yeah. from how they were when you were that age because our camp director was so, you know, he didn't want to have any kind of social where the lights were turned off, mm-hmm. where it was in some sweaty barn. Mm-hmm. He tried to make socials more into – outings like doing mini golf with a right, boys camp I right we played mini golf mini golf with Andrew Scoggin and that was not for an all camp social but he wanted to have socials be outside mm-hmm. and you know one time there was a social at our camp I think when we were 12 and it was just my age group and and I, I think it may have been Andrew Scoggin came to our camp and it was like going on the pontoon boat and roasting marshmallows That's and like fun. playing games and, you know, when you're in the older half of the bunk line and, and you're one of those girls, and I'm being a pick-me girl right now, but you're you're one of those girls who really likes socials and who spends rest hour after it's been announced, you know, shaving her legs, planning her outfit, you know, getting the Victoria's Secret bombshell bra with the sugar lips tank top from Lester's. <laughs> <laughs> and doing the eyeliner, do, you know, doing oh my all God, the of eyeliner, it. The, the Sophie shorts, you know, the Sophie shorts rolled, you know, three or four times. Right. You better believe you're going to get judged by younger campers, especially if you have a younger sibling. 100%. And do you remember me? I do. But I also remember when I had friends who were like three years older and I remember being like 11 when they were 15 or 14, actually. And they had some social and it was, oh, it was Bounty. You remember oh, Bounty? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Bounty. Absolutely. But I remember, you know, Bounty is when, is a social, huge social with lots of different camps. That's just a disgusting makeout fest. I mean, it wasn't like that for me, but I saw it. And I, I guess I was a little bit prudish in some ways, but... I just, I'm still like this with the rare exception of something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago, but <laughs> I find it very hard to go up to somebody and like put myself in a position where if I don't know them, we're going to be making out or something. Or I, know, it's so I really strange. struggle to turn a conversation with someone I don't know into something romantic or sexual or I, I don't know. That's well, I really think, I think sometimes me. you don't even, you know, you don't even have to have the conversation turn that way. It's just an energy shift. I know. I know, but I don't know how to shift the energy most of the time. (laughs) But (laughs) anyways, like there needs to be some kind of precedent for me. Right. I totally Um, get that. But I I remember getting so mad at these girls I was friends with because they got so-called bounty points, which means they made out with boys at bounty. And I remember writing them notes and like, what a freaking, uh, what's the term? Um, narc. I was such a narc. <laughs> I, I wrote notes in their mailbox like, wow, I can't believe you did, <laughs> you did that. <laughs> you know, that's so bad. Like, 
I all but calling them sluts, right? Mm-hmm. And it was odd because I think at camp, on the one hand, there was this culture of, in terms of socials, it was cool if you made out with somebody, but it was so not cool because you could get in trouble with our camp director. And your friend Allie even wrote a whole song about it. Yeah, which was amazing um, to The Longest Time by Billy Joel. Can you sing it a little bit? I don't remember it. Green and white, get ready for tonight. A social awaits the campers with delight. Oh, what will they wear? The girls perfect their hair. Somebody's gonna get lucky tonight. Oh, for the longest time behind the lodge, for the longest Redacted catches you up against the wall. He asks you his name and you say that it's Paul wrong. His name is Jake. You made a big mistake. Now Redacted and Redacted want to send you home. Yeah, it's really good. But you kind of get the idea, right? I hated socials. I really did. I think because maybe because I'm a pick me girl. But I really, it was because I was never picked and I, uh, I think even my senior year, that was when, you know, I was the oldest and I felt like, well, first of all, I'd lost a lot of weight. And so I think I would have been considered prettier by certain standards than the summer before. But no one ever, you know, like came up to me, asked me to dance or. I mean, they didn't, they didn't (laughs) even really, please, they didn't really (laughs) talk or ask me. I mean, I, I, they would just on a few occasions come up behind me and just start you know, rubbing up against me, which I, you know, I'm pretty sure is like assault. <laughs> this is this is an interesting conversation to me because I went to camp from 2002 to 2006. And that was, as I'm looking back on the odds, that was a bad time for women, I would say. Bubblegum misogyny. McLean. Bubblegum misogyny. It was not a great time for women. I, as you just told me about bubblegum misogyny and Mick Fling and Paris Hilton and, uh, you know, everyone being anorexic and the paparazzi just being relentless with these young starlets. This is something we talked about, I think, last episode with Lindsay. Uh, so you could look at it like that, that it was part of this misogynistic culture where young girls were taught that they didn't have autonomy over their bodies and that certain things were just expected of them. Like, I remember going to my first social at Cobbacy and thinking, like, this is weird, but I guess this is what girls of a certain age do. Um, And I want to participate. I don't want to be left out. I also had my first kiss at Cedar Bowl, and I wrote about it in detail in my diary, which is out in East Hampton. And I know you've read it (laughs) with your friend Remy. And you even said to me, you were extremely boy crazy. And I was. I do think I was totally boy crazy. Like I mentioned, I did not know any. So it was really exciting to me to be able to be exposed <laughs> to the but, yeah. but with Cedar Bowl, it was a guy named Harrison, and my friend knew him from home. And so we had been, I think, writing to each other a little bit because we had met the year before. Oh my yeah. God. And I think that it was expected, you know, we were going to kiss. And I kind of knew going into this, like, I'm going to make out with a boy for the first time. And I remember he had braces. I had braces. I mean, it was so gross. Um, I wrote about it in vivid detail. 
I was just going to say that I think socials for me, the reason why they were unsettling, even though I really tried to like them because I just, you know, I think I wanted to be wanted. Totally. Completely. But they just broke the bubble of camp for me in a way that I don't think going, you know, on our trip days where we would go to, you know, Ogonquit Beach or go hiking or when you're older, oh my God, Step Falls, or or when you're older, um, you know, Peaks Island biking or Mount Katahdin. The socials just, they interrupted the, I I don't know, atmosphere of camp in a way that I really didn't like. And I think one thing that was so beautiful to me about our camp is that it was a very sapphic atmosphere. And I don't mean to say necessarily that everyone was queer or lesbian, though uh, you know, as it has turned out, a lot of us have grown up to be maybe because camp put us in a headspace where we explored that as, you know, adolescents. But for me, like my crushes in the summer, <laughs> uh, the first one I remember at least was this older girl who in Bye Bye Birdie played Conrad Birdie. And, you know, since we went to all girls camp, we played male and female parts and she had a low voice and was really tall and she had previously been Captain Hook in 2004 and Peter Pan and then she went on to be Conrad Birdie. And it's funny, you know, rewatching the camp video because 2005 is the year it was filmed and 2005 was when Bye Bye Birdie happened. <laughs> I mean, she's just like a 15-year-old girl <laughs> I mean, a little awkward as we, as everyone is at 15, but I was obsessed with her and I, I think I was a little bit in, in love with her. I was like nine. And after camp in the winter, you know, I, in our yearbook, you know, they used to have your AIM addresses and I would IM her all the time. And she was so nice to respond to me. But I think I was I think I was obsessed with her after seeing her as Conrad Birdie, like awaken something in me. Before we move on, I just want to say that I think my experience at socials now looking back on it is part of a larger trend of misogyny. And like I said, women not having autonomy over their bodies and the idea of consent really not being in the lexicon. I think that when I went to camp, it's the first time just having this conversation with you that I'm looking back on how we viewed socials and how socials worked. And I think that they were now looking back at it really outdated. And um, I remember getting to camp and the older girls, especially the seniors of 03, they were, you know, I thought they were women and gosh, they were 14 years old and they were very sexual and they did this really cool dance to Overprotected by Britney Spears. And when they got to be seniors and went to Bounty, which, you know, I saw as this rite of passage that I was so excited to go to. Uh, Bounty is when the oldest age groups at all of these camps all around Maine converge one night on a bowling alley and mayhem ensues. And you hear so many stories. And one of the stories we heard was that a certain senior of 03 gave a blowjob behind the bowling alley and got her gum stuck in the guy's pubes. (laughs) So it just was, it was hypersexualized and 
you know, I'm so grateful that as time went on, there was a huge shift from 2003 to 2006, where I remember our camp director saying, you know, you got to leave almost the equivalent of leave space for the Holy Ghost. Um, Even when you slow danced, you know, you got to make sure your elbows are at you know, your elbows distance apart. That's what he would say. And the head of marksmanship, who's, who's such a legend at our camp and a full-time teacher would also go around policing. So I think it changed a lot. And I think just our priorities changed and we found other outlets for our crazy hormones. Like you mentioned your girl crush on the girl who played by a Conrad birdie. Um, Ours manifested in, you know, really strange ways. Some, some rest hours we would, (laughs) give each other hickeys on our backs. We just would do weird shit. And I think there were so many hormones and you know, what you're talking about is totally normal. The fact that everyone was gay or that all the counselors were gay did not really fully dawn on me until I was a counselor myself in 2010. And then I realized there are very few straight men here and there are very few, well, there's a, a lot of lesbians. I also want to say with regard to you shaming those older girls, I think it's really sweet. I think you felt protective of them. I think you were also uh, triggered and in denial about your, you know, um, upcoming, you know, adulthood. You were sad about growing up. And uh, I just finished Stranger Things and like growing up is the worst. (laughs) And I, I think that so much of camp and the melancholy that we felt was we were mourning our youth, truly. I think it was sad to think we're growing up. And, you know, it was so weird to see certain people outside of camp in the real world. That was one of the most jarring things for me. And I would also say for those girls who wanted bounty points, you know, definitely I think they were feeling pressured by a misogynistic system. But, you know, also I they were probably trying to explore their sexuality and needed a place to channel all those raging hormones that you have when you're that age. I think speaking of outlets for certain urges and hormones, I mean, didn't you all do something involving a tetherball pole that was removed from outside like bunk six or seven? Yes. I think we were definitely pole dancing on that tetherball pole. So it's interesting you say that because – As we'll get into in a little bit, you know, camp is such a place of freedom in terms of nudity. And, you know, we'll talk about skinny dip. But when I was in bunk 12, which is, you know, the youngest age group, when we were like nine years old, during rest hour after lunch and probably during shower hour too before dinner, we used to play strip club. And uh, what we would do is we would divide the bunk into two. And half of the bunk were the patrons and half the bunk were strippers. And sometimes you could switch, but I was almost always a stripper. And on the men, they would not be wearing their shirts. So, you know, so-called the male patrons or whatever. With magic marker, we draw chest hair on them and (laughs) tattoos. And they would sit on the box benches like, you know, sitting in a strip club and, uh, you know, the girls who were designated strippers, myself included, would, could come out and we'd do some dance with the radio, you know, the bo- from the boom box and literally be swinging from the rafters. This, of course, was always done when 
you know, on Mondays, the counselors have meetings, meeting Mondays, and the the person who's watching your bunk is a girl in the oldest age group or, t- or two of them who are assigned to watch your bunk. And you can always get away with a lot of shit when you have, you know, seniors on OD, on duty, as they say, rather than counselors. And we would, you know, do crazy stuff when that happened on Mondays. And I think in bunk seven, one time we were really hyper and my friend who we used to call toasty because she only ate toast <laughs> at lunch, she started peeing through the screen window with all her clothes off. And then we were like, oh, my God, that's so much fun. And then we all, you know, took our clothes off and ran under the bunk because the bunks are like on stilts in the back and started peeing. And I remember the OD captain, you know, like the counselors who, who was in charge of, I don't know, whatever was so scary, came running down the bunk line and we got in so, so much trouble. I mean, during rest hour, we also used to play a game in bunk seven that same summer. So when I was like 10, you know, talk about camp as a world unto itself. I mean, a bunk is a society unto itself. We used to play the bunk seven casino. And, you know, this is an example of camp being a place where you can forge different identities and try on all different things and play different roles. But bunk seven was especially a year for that for me. The casino was very organized. There were all different stations. I, again, was a stripper. (laughs) And (laughs) we had, I think it was blackjack or it was probably like BS, like someone who who dealt cards and then, you know, jacks and all different games like that, maybe pickup sticks. And then what someone would do is, you know, Rest hour was all about setting up for the casino, which was open during shower hour before (laughs) dinner. So obviously we weren't showering. And um, we would invite people from different bunks to come during shower hours to the Bunk 7 Casino. And we had like a fortune teller and and all the games I described, the strippers. And we would have somebody who whoever had marksmanship in the afternoon. You know, um, there would be all these bullet casings from the from the rifle and that tray right where where the where people are shooting so at the end of marksmanship someone would collect um you know someone in bunk seven would would collect all of the shells and take them to the bunk and that's what we would use as like chips chips in the casino and um it was really fun we also had someone as a bartender and their job was to go up to the lodge uh before shower hour and fill up Nalgene's with you know concoctions of like iced tea and Gatorade and lemonade, lemonade, and mix it. And the bar was the trunk room, and that was really, really, really fun. Let me just first say, pickup sticks were really fun, and I haven't thought about pickup sticks in a really long time. What a simple, but you can get giant pickup sticks. Really? Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out, mm-hmm. and. Everything you're talking about with rest hour, shower hour, you know, th- that special time before lights out. I mean, that was the best part of camp, I think, because you're just with your friend, your bunk mates doing weird stuff. You're with your bunk family. You have two bunk moms and a bunk uncle, sometimes a bunk aunt who like works in horseback riding and can't live in the bunk because she needs to be near the horses. Um, but Carrie, are we ever going to talk about 
our experiences as counselors. I just want to say that I loved being on OD as a counselor, actually. I really loved it. I would bring my book in Crazy Creek and I would sit outside or sit inside if the weather was bad on the porch. And I get to hang out with the girls beforehand. And it was always so exciting seeing how exciting, sorry, it was always so sweet seeing how excited they were that you were there OD that night, you know? I just remember feeling so awesome and cool and also so struck by how young everybody was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had the best bunk ever. And they were so sweet, the best girls ever. They were like 12 years old because they were freshmen. So they were going into seventh grade. And they were just that really sweet age when they were cool and independent and had all their own interests, but also they weren't you know, they weren't fast or bitchy or, you know, smart alecky. So they were just wonderful. And I, you know, I loved them so much and I, they've all grown up now and they're like out of college, obviously, because we're all old and it's wild to see them on Instagram and they're all so grown up and impressive and beautiful. And anyway, as you can tell, I really felt (laughs) maternal towards them. Um, And we actually had three bunk moms in our bunk and I slept um, in the, in the main room with the girls. And that was always so fun. And I really felt like a camper again when I was 18, turning 19 years old. So that summer, uh, 2010, when you were a counselor, that was my junior summer. Yep. So my second to last summer when I was 14. And that was when I got really into doing the plays again, which, you know, I had done the plays when I was little. And then after some rejection, <laughs> which we talked about earlier um, with my friend Martha and Bye Bye Birdie, I started doing them again. And I, that summer, played Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, as you, you were amazing. Remember. You should win a Tony. At home, I never did plays and musicals, but that was something that I did at camp. And I mentioned, you know, when Martha got the part in Bye Bye Birdie, and I didn't, I, I did throw a fit. I didn't even make it into the freaking chorus. <laughs> Um, my first, my first or, or second <laughs> summer, and I wrote all these letters home to mom that I was boycotting drama, and because the oh year before God. that I had had a role in this kind of cabaret, Chicago? and it wasn't properly Chicago, but right. there was a Chicago number in it, and I was one all of that the Elma Kellys, and it was it was scintillating and sexy, and you know I would go out for to do I still the get chills show. thinking about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like eight and singing, oh, I'm no one's wife, but, wife, oh, I, but love my life. I love yeah. my life. Sorry to sound like yeah. Laura. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I mean, the talent shows too. And you did dance. And not that you didn't do these things. Well, I guess you did dance at home too. But like, we just, you know, growing up in, in high school, I, I met people who I think I came into my own and became more openly who I am in college. But there totally. are certain people I went to high school with who I maybe wasn't that close with, who sometimes they say to me, I didn't realize you were so weird. And um, I think that's mostly a compliment. But I'm like, how could you not? Absolutely. But then I realized the place where I was really most free to be weird was at camp. Weirdness was like, it was cool to be weird. It was cool to be kind of gross. <laughs> and like, yeah, totally. And, you know, and I think in that way too, 
with skinny dips and, you know, it being all girls and us all being naked a lot of the time, it really promoted body positivity. The way skinny dip works is that, you know, it's before breakfast, it's right after Beverly is played, you know, 7.15. And the seniors decide the night before, you know, is there going to be skinny dip in the morning? And, you know, skinny dip is for color war points. And, Senior Reveille is 15 minutes before regular Reveille because the seniors live in a little place called the Senior Village over like a tiny bridge. And then the seniors all come out. And if you're a light sleeper, you'll see them, you know, shuffling toward the basketball court and they're about to, you know, call skinny dip. But you'll have to Reveille, there'll be a beat and then you'll hear skinny dip (laughs) and you run down to the to the waterfront with your towel or, or your robe and your flip flops, and it's a really important you do that and you don't go naked because the male counselors who sleep in the lodge can see the bunk can see the bunk line. So you know that's important. Um, <laughs> and you go down to the waterfront. You jump in and you just swim one lap. Some girls put their hair on top of their head, especially the older girls. The younger girls kind of just jump in full force, you know. And, you know, you see all these naked bodies of girls from like 8 to to 15 years old. And then counselors too. And counselors too. I always did skinny dip as a counselor. There's something so fun about it. I don't know why. but Yeah, but also you see these bodies of people you know year after year and you see their bodies change while yours changes and it's just kind of cool it's almost like a foreshadowing like oh okay this is what is going to happen to me in a couple I'm gonna get pubes (laughs) yeah or or you know it's like looking at the care and keeping a view boob stages (laughs) and you're like okay so that girl's so so she's in stage four, but also it's you're really coming from a place of, of not of judgment. It's not, yeah. you know, when I was at home, I'd find myself starting around seventh grade, like, oh, that girl whose pictures I'm looking at on Facebook, or this girl that I, you know, worked so hard to befriend because I thought she was cool. When I would look at her body, and you know, we wouldn't do be doing naked things because. Mm-hmm that would be seen as god forbid lesbian um but at camp camp was such a sapphic environment and it none of that nobody gave a crap about totally. that but i think it's so hard that you you know you got facebook when you did i mean think about a time before facebook and what any any social media sites people did not used to post i just i know this is captain obvious but this is mind blowing to me. People just didn't post photos of themselves all the time. Right. And, and they have n- nowhere to post them. They just took photos and then would frame them and put them around their house. So, like, who yeah. even cared what they looked like in photos? Right. And then, you know, when I was your when I was that age at camp, it was pre-social media. So, you know, we would get Tiger Beat, yeah. like those funny teen magazines, and we would we would put posters of Aaron and Nick Carter up and JC Chavez and stuff. But but actually when I was going through stuff in the in the basement at mom's house, I did find a letter from you to mom saying that our camp director made you guys take down all, all your tiger beat posters. That's true. Exactly. So they wanted to keep us, you know, sequestered and in, in a bubble, but a good bubble, you know. Um, right. 
but, but my point is Carrie is just that, that, that must've been so hard for you at that age, seeing all of these girls project, you know, certain images. Right. Well, that's like the, the start of like this current, I don't know, surge in promotionally oriented selves. And it has a correlation to, um, teenage suicide, which is a huge issue right now. Yeah. And I, I think also like dissociative seeing, we always have to bring back Susan Sontag, but right. you know, the, the more you're sharing pictures of yourself and seeing yourself as pictures versus in the mirror or not looking at yourself at all, yeah, the less you feel really inside and power over your body and Um, You also start to dissociate other people from their image. And, you know, I think nowadays there are certain people I haven't seen in a long time. And when someone brings them up, I don't think of a memory I have of them. I think of what they look like on Instagram, which is scary. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by my senior summer at camp, that would have been the year before Instagram came out. But we were, Facebook was definitely huge. And to not have that was really important for me. And also, honestly, yeah. to be away, you know, Ellie and I, for high school, we, we changed to, to co-ed school and to be away from boys and the pressure of that was really important. You know, my, my freshman year of high school, I redeveloped, I guess, a bad eating disorder and it was not good and it was kind of scary Ellie you you yeah. remember and yeah of course. you know there was this question of whether I was going to be able to go back to camp because it got really bad toward the end of the school year and mom decided and I think she talked to our camp director you know without letting me know but camp was going to be the absolute best place Definitely. for me to be and it was and I was able to get healthier at camp and just find a way out of all of that. Because one thing, unfortunately, that really triggered that descent in ninth grade was speaking of Facebook. Totally. My friend and I somehow got access through our friend's Facebook account. And now I'm outing myself as a hacker, but it was just a couple times (laughs) in high school. Honestly, who isn't? And we saw that, there was this Facebook group of boys at our high school and or certain group of boys. And they had put a list of who is the hottest in grade. And my my friend and I, my friends and I were not even on it. Honestly, that's the cool place to be. You don't want to peak in high school. Right. I mean, I've definitely had a glow up, but that, (laughs) I mean, sorry, let's be real. You know, I glowed up. Um, I think I'm having, I think I'm on my next glow up now, actually. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> based on what happened to me on Saturday night. But anyways, we digress. <laughs> we, we digress. <laughs> um, sorry. About boys. Yeah, we saw we were not on the list. And that really triggered mm. another bout of disordered eating for me that got really, really bad. And camp was a place where I was able to heal and yeah. – just to be with people I felt so comfortable with, who I felt like valued me for reasons so different from reasons why I felt not valued often at home. That was really 
special. And I'm so grateful that I did go to camp, you know, it was my last summer at camp. And yeah, me um, I think it in a, in a lot of ways really saved me. But I will say, yeah. you know, getting away from the male gaze, yes, you have male counselors. And sometimes that was an odd dynamic because some of them Only, were like 19. Yeah, like and, 19, 20, 21. And the oldest girls are, are 15. And I think, I don't, not that I know that anything ever happened, but I know something that happened. Well, it is an urban legend slash semi-confirmed that supposedly she had a thing with the stable boy when she was a senior who probably was like 18. And so that's why we don't have stable boys anymore. Whoa. I'm making it seem like we go to an equestrian camp. Like we have like three horses. And, well, it is true that in the around. camp video, they make the riding program. And we I never did riding. So I don't know. I don't I know did the my caliber first summer. of it. So weird. So I yeah, actually well, did a if, horse And show if you do riding, you have to pay more money as a camper. It's not like something you dabble in. No, no, no. The girls who rode, they freaking rode. Because they were horse girls. Yeah. I am a horse girl, though. I just want to let you guys know. Well, you're saying that because of Taylor Swift. You're not a horse girl. No, not just because. No, because I really do like horses. Oh, that doesn't make you a horse girl, babe. I love horses, too, oh. but that that, that does, that's not what a, a horse girl that does not make. What is a horse girl? A horse girl is a personality type. And, like, they have a long okay. braid and... Like Taylor Swift is a horse girl. They write in diaries and use stickers and draw. Yeah, you'll know it when you see it. Well, this this funny blogger you turned me on to, she described Elizabeth Holmes slash Amanda. Total, Seyfried total, as total, a horse total, girl. total, total horse girls. <laughs> total. Okay. But you know how you know how you always think you always say you can kind of tell when you meet someone and I still classify people this way when I meet them in my head. Like, is this person a greenie or a whitey? And you know, horse girls are always whiteies. <laughs> always whiteies. Who are greenies? I'm a greenie. Even though, you know, you were on white as much as you were on green. You I actually of- think I was on white more than I was on green. But you're, but you're still a greenie. You're such a greenie. Why don't you say a celebrity... And I'll say whether they're greeny or whitey. Muhammad Ali. Green. Cameron Diaz. Green. Vanessa Carlton. White. Anna Wintour. White. (laughs) (laughs) So basically you're kind of saying like whiteys are kind of weird. No, 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 no. Keep going. Tanya Harding. White. Hmm, interesting. Margot Robbie. White. See, that's a white who's cool. Well, anyway... (laughs) It's just a sense we get, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I think Carrie. Shakira I, I'm really is green moved by what you were talking about. <laughs> anyway, um, I I just want to say that your story about senior year, senior summer, and how much that meant to you, and how much that helped you, that really warms my heart. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, but I but obviously Ellie, there there were times when the bubble would burst and the, and the outside world would, would trickle in in a positive way on trip days. But even on trip days, you're in like the main outdoors and on extended trips, especially you're going doing Mount Katahdin or, or the St. Croix River. You're also going to, we went to, 
What's the oh Freeport? Well, yeah. Well, those are the special trips. Not That's it was Booth um, Bay Harbor and Bar Harbor. And Bar Harbor junior and senior right. trips. So I mean, it was a really cool way to see Maine, the state of Maine, which is a a stunning and strange at times place. Mm-hmm. So that was that was always interesting, and it always felt like we were in the bubble. But of course, there were moments when it would break through, and I'm sure increasingly with social media and everything, it's only gotten easier to do so. Well, I was just going to say that a moment I remember the outside world, you know, tumbling in (laughs) was when Michael Jackson died. And Mm. I do not know why, but our camp director, who is sort of a cross between Michael Scott and, and who would you say, Ellie? Michael Scott and Ed Helms. Ed from the office, Andy. Like he's kind of like Michael Scott and Andy put together. Okay. Well, wonderful, wonderful man, the most well-meaning man, but sometimes the messages get lost in translation. Yes. For for this it was why in 2009 did he decide to, you know, during assembly call an important meeting for the upper half of the bunk line? to meet, to stay in the lodge after assembly to tell us Michael Jackson has died. I mean, yes, that's a big, that's a big news story and it's a big moment, but I don't think it's a big enough moment to call a meeting. (laughs) Also, I'm sure you guys were worried that something bad, like really, you know, obviously that's terrible what happened to Michael Jackson, but like a a natural disaster. Like when I was at camp in the summer of 03, we had the the New York City blackout. Mm. You know, I was not there. Then the BP oil spill also happened. And I remember every lunchtime announcement, someone would be like, it's day 49 and they haven't, they haven't managed to contain it. I yeah, didn't realize that they they yeah. were giving updates. I mean, interestingly, the summer of 2020, our camp was one of the only camps that still had a session, and it was only half a summer. They successfully had no COVID cases, which amazing. is amazing. They didn't have trip day. You know, all no meals socials. basically were eaten outside, and. You know, you didn't serve yourself food. They were all, all the meals were pre-portioned on plates. And wow. anyways, during that time, I don't know how camp operated in, in terms of, of being about an escape from the outside world. I mean, maybe it was even more so because they didn't have trip day and they didn't have visiting day. Yeah. Well, that just is so impressive. Are they making announcements about, about COVID cases? Are they making, like, what is it like to go to camp? At our camp, in a time of, of huge Trump. social upheaval, yeah, and tr- yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure you know for kids who get phone calls and kids who are older getting phone calls who can process that kind of information. You know, you get phone calls at meal times, by the way, or you can also make phone appointments. And our mom never really call- called us. <laughs> there was, it was some quality over quantity. There were some campers who got phone calls like every day, which is too much. And during breakfast, you know, all the all the parents call and they're trying there are three lines and there's the phone table near the phone and they <laughs> ring a bell and say, Ellie Monahan, line, line two. Yeah. And then you run and you go to the you phone run in to the, the lodge. Phone. Yeah. 
Yeah. And everybody's and like cheering for you and it's so exciting yeah. and like She's oh got spirit. God. She's got sister. That's because she's my big sister. Yay, yeah. Ellie. So awesome. Um I would also say the the converse of it being such a bubble and the outside world not really coming in and you could spend your entire summer not really know, knowing what's going on in the world. Maybe a an adverse effect that happened was that I would take camp so so seriously. And I think in a way that like was stressful and probably not fun to be around. You know, you mentioned that I was scary during team meetings, which is so funny to think about. But yeah, I do remember feeling like the stakes were so high and not just for color war, but also just camp and the time there. And, you know, senior year, it's like your last everything and you're trying to soak it all in. And, you know, I was obsessed with going to senior rock and like journaling. And I was obsessed with going to the basketball courts and going stargazing. And I like was really trying to drink it all in. What about late campfire? Late campfire. Totally. I would go to late campfire. I would never miss a skinny dip. It just felt, it, it felt so intense and so heightened um, that what did you call it? A contained environment? A, t- a total environment or a whole environment? Total environment. And it was just, it was totally, it was all consuming. And by the time the summer was over, uh, you didn't want to leave. And it was, you know, you felt like you were going to die <laughs> if you left. No, you and really did. We went so crazy in the amount of crying and carrying on and pretending, you know, that we were going to chain ourselves to the flagpole <laughs> and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it's very intense. I do feel sometimes, though, especially when you're a younger camper, yes, you, you love camp and it means so much to you if, if you end up being one of the many people who, who loves camp. But a lot of it is trying to imitate how sad the seniors are and how seriously they take camp. And sometimes, honestly, yes, I loved camp so much, but sometimes I felt like I was performing a little and just wanting to care about something so badly. And, you know, I wasn't the kind of person who used my time at camp to necessarily be quiet and introspective and go to senior <laughs> rock and and ponder and write in my journal and and listening to the oh my the, god I'm such pe- a loser hearing it back no 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 no. but a lot a, a lot of people that's how they experience much of their last summer at camp I was never someone who even though I love 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 to sing I don't love I never love staying at late campfire which is a privilege for the seniors, sometimes the juniors, where they get to stay after a campfire, after taps. Continue to sing. Continue to sing while someone plays guitar and it's dark it's out. It's very and kumbaya. It's, it's very crunchy and magical. Granola. And we would sing stuff that we wouldn't sing at ordinary campfire, like Traveling Soldier by the Dixie Chicks. Or and The Joker so many- by Steve Miller Band. We also and, went through a Regina Spector phase. Oh my gosh, yes. And... You know, dispatch lots of, and fish. Yeah, we should talk about fish for a second because I think one one persona I tried on as a camper, probably in two thousand five or two thousand six, was I I wanted to become like a fish head because I loved this counselor named Annie and she was amazing. And I think my senior year, she like we somehow snuck into the counselor lounge and she played for me the fish documentary. The one with Trey. Oh my God, I didn't know that. And I became obsessed with fish. And I think it was more that, oh, this is a totally new identity that I don't 
you know, that I've never really seen before in New York City. And this is what I want to be. You know, I want to like get into fish and, you know, make um, not even friendship bracelets, but like the hemp bracelets. And oh my I God, wanted... you were into hemp bracelets. Yes. So into I remember it. That. And, and just, you know, I think it was something I tried on. And I, that care, I think it was probably going into ninth grade because that was when I was such a weirdo and would like walk around New York with my guitar on my back. (laughs) And like my friend, Natalie, shout out, shout out to Natalie, a loyal listener. Thank you. Natalie and I one time went to the park and she plays saxophone. She's like, and although I don't know, are you, are you keeping up with it? We would go to the park and like play songs. Like we were so emo, you know, this is like, no, Ellie, you, you, you used to take probably because this was like the only train you knew how to take from the Upper East Side <laughs> at, at the time, and this was me for much of my the four, you five, know, six. That's still the teenage. Only one I you, you, you would you would take the six and go to Astor Place, which is yep. like could not be. That's not. It's not like you were going somewhere. <laughs> no, well, it like, was near St. Mark's. That's where you could like get an underage oh tattoo. My God. Not that I ever that's did. Why? And like you could buy booze and like it was kind of a you, scene. So you it was go, like you it was go like to an Saint alternative Mark's place. scene. Yeah. When you were alt, it lasted not very long because yeah, literally this is when by I dyed my summer, hair red. <laughs> and and you had bangs that went into your eyes. <laughs> Gosh, this has really opened up what could potentially be a whole other episode about all of our past selves. But I think I was really looking for an identity who isn't. Um, and I think the fish thing was a moment. Uh, I think that then that kind of transformed into kind of a punk emo thing. I dyed my hair red. I wore really skinny jeans and vans and went to St. Mark's place and just walked around and looked at the tattoos, but, but never. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that the fish thing, I don't know how this relates back to camp, but I guess we were trying things on. I think what I tried on at camp, I mean, also were many things. One was being a mean girl, which I don't think I was (laughs) as much at home. But no, like there was one time I made everyone in the bunk so mad and they were so fed up at me. This is when I was in bunk one. So this is the summer. Sophomore. Freshman year. Sixth grade. Yeah. And during rest hour one day, there was an intervention about how I – upset this person by saying this, how I made this person mad because I wore her floaties without asking to canoeing or, <laughs> and they sat in a circle around me literally and told me what they, what they didn't like about like uh, that scene in, in handmaid's tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What? <laughs> or, or what did they say? It was your fault. Your fault. Your fault. Your fault. No, your fault. It, that, that's what it was. <laughs> Ellie, that is your such fault. a good <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I forgive them. I was in such so many ways because I think I was also still going through stuff. I Definitely. I think my junior summer in particular, I was a bit of a see you next Tuesday. I think that <laughs> partly had to do with the fact that at home, you know, it's the I'm going into ninth grade. I felt very uncertain about things uh, socially. I was going to a new school and felt insecure about how I looked in my body. But at camp, I was kind of the shit. So Mm -hmm. I think that summer I had an attitude and I want to apologize to all my friends, especially Nora, because (laughs) Nora, you're saying the worst thing that I did was 
every year we have something called lip sync and it's just a rainy day activity. It's not really a big (laughs) deal. It's not having anything to do with color war, but you're told, you know, it's raining activities are canceled and you're in your bunk and you're waiting for someone with a golf cart to come by and tell your counselor what the rainy day activity is. And lip sync is probably the best rainy day activity. (laughs) Definitely. But You don't know when in the summer it's going to be. And most bunks, especially on the younger half of the bunk line, you know, they they put on some crappy performance. Well, they're like little. They need help. They need help. And, and, you know, when I was a counselor and they wanted to do it to popular from Mm. Wicked, which fine enough. But I was literally like a toddler and tiara mom in the back (laughs) of the lodge or like upstairs in the lodge doing the dance for them so they could follow me. But – Back to lip sync scene, uh, junior summer rather. I I think it was also that I'd gotten really into Glee because Glee mm. had come out that Peak year. Glee time, yeah. And I think that I saw myself as something of a Rachel Berry, and <laughs> I, you know, starting like the first week of camp, I basically forced my entire not just bunk but age group because when you're in that second to oldest age group, you live in a, the junior house. Oh, so and fun. I forced them every rest hour to practice lip sync. It was this intense choreographed dance, people as different roles, planning the costumes. And I was not nice, especially to Nora. Nora, I'm sorry. I kept telling you, you were offbeat. And I was like evil. I would really, I really was like Abby Lee Miller. And I want to <laughs> apologize. I really, Wait, really want to apologize. Wait, who's Abby Lee Miller again? From Dance Moms. The, oh, right, right, right. right. And but you know what, girls, we freaking won as juniors. So you're welcome. There you go. And oh, that it, must it have been was, devastating for the seniors. Well, you know, we clearly deserved it. And I've made <laughs> so many people had become miserable in the process, but we did it to run Joey Run, which is like some I don't even know that one. Campy um 70s song that was redone on none other than Glee. And yeah, it, I have the video if you guys want to see. Um, you'll see me front and center. Yeah. Also, that summer that we won lip sync and everything, I remember you actually had to have a talk with me because my friend Nora, who I'd been <laughs> yelling at and probably pretty abusive toward during the <laughs> rehearsal, saying, telling her she was always offbeat. <laughs> I think she talked to her sister, Anna, who was also a counselor, mm-hmm. your age and your friend. I talked to you and you had to have a talk with me about how I had to be nicer. How did that go? Well, you know what? They really gave it to me that summer in senior show, which I hear doesn't actually happen anymore, which is really upsetting because it was too triggering. Um, Well, why don't you explain what senior show is? So senior show at least was for many, many years. It's like an SNL show, basically sketch comedy where the seniors, the oldest age group make fun of the whole camp if you've done something to merit being made fun of. Mm-hmm. And if someone makes an announcement that's embarrassing or, I don't know, something, you remember the cheer the seniors do? They got spirit. They don't know. That's because it's senior show. Yay. Ellie right. Or whatever. Right. Yes. The cheer. Anyways, 
it's pretty low budget. I mean, the seniors write it during one day. They spend a trip day, I think at Sebago Lake, and they write it. And there's a song all about which counselors are hooking up with who. Yeah. And that's when the counselor couples are revealed. Yep. And then you go, newsflash, newsflash. Remember? Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are like roasts. And when you were a senior, you made fun of me because I'd been constipated all summer. Oh, that's so mean. (laughs) It's okay. I was pretty open about it. It was probably partly for attention. But anyways, that summer, 2010 senior show, I was totally eviscerated by the seniors because I was a year younger. And they had this whole scene with my friend Martha and me who had this fake acapella group (laughs) called Troublesome, which is a long story where we were like singing and screaming into each other's mouths and like being super competitive. (laughs) And then there was a whole scene in the junior house of me basically acting like a dictator, making them rehearse for lip sync, you know, being Rachel Berry. Well, didn't, didn't I have, when I was a sophomore, didn't we have a, an acapella group? You did, Z-Notes. Z-Notes. I think I probably copied you. Yeah. No, no, no. I think because my friend Michelle was your counselor, she probably inspired you guys. Right, right. Well, Michelle was part of Troublesome. Yes, amazing. <laughs> I, senior show was actually one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite evening activities. I always looked forward to it. I always thought it was hilarious. And you know, while things like the Apache Relay and socials have changed for the better, I am like, that's sort of a bummer that senior show doesn't happen. I mean, it's really about, it's really for the count. It's really about roasting the counselors and, you know, a lot of counselors date, but like I mentioned, it's not, there's not a huge selection at camp, but a lot of counselors date. And I actually, you know, there's a couple couples that have a couple couples. There are a few couples, I'm sure more than a few, who've met and gotten married. Yeah. Actually, one of our listeners, Dougie, 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 uh, that's oh her God. captain song. She's been listening, Ellie. And, Amazing. Which is really sweet. And she married uh, someone she met at camp yeah, of as course. a counselor, Jeremy. Jeremy. Oh my God, yeah. of course. No, Dougie was my first captain. Head of captain. the waterfront. <laughs> totally. Dougie was my first yeah. captain, White O2. And to me, she will always be the quintessential captain in my imagination. For me, it's Mindy. Yep. <laughs> who That's was captain of Green in 2004. Yeah. Been a leader since Bunk 10. Something you amaze us. Always such a loyal friend. Your craziness helps lead the team. All the while bleeding green. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's bleeding, bleeding green. green. <laughs> That was to All I Want for Christmas is You. Great captain yeah. song. Yeah. And she was my camp big sister too. Yeah. Just like so cool. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, this is making me really want to reconnect with everyone. Um, I actually ran into Sarah at the Brentwood Farmer's Market two weeks ago. And she has a little baby girl named Noah. Oh, really? And she was so cute. She was like senior of 2030 something. I was like, what? So um, I know, you know, once a camper, always a camper. Totally. Even if you fall out of touch with people. One of my good camp friends, actually like my, probably my best camp friend lives really close to me in LA and we go to the dog park together and it's nice. I, I know you're still really close with so many of your, of your camp friends, but yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I guess this is how it always is for everyone, but the age range at our camp is eight or nine to 15. And when you get there, I was 10, 11. 
I, I remember thinking the 15 year olds were like Dougie. That was Dougie. She was an adult to me. She was a woman. The girls I mentioned who did the overprotective dance and lost one of them lost their gum and someone's pubic hair bounty. Evidently (laughs) it's, it's urban legend and like, honestly props to her. But they were women, you know, and when I became a counselor and saw all the kids, like they're just their kids. And it's just so funny to me. And speaking of Mm -hmm. women and feeling like, you know, I would never develop. I, we once had a softball game against Vega and no hard feelings, Vega. And maybe we dragged you last episode because I harbor some resentment, but it was a 15 and under softball game at Vega. And they announced it during lunch. It was very low key, or sorry, they announced it at assembly. If you want to come meet after lunch at the flagpole, we'll drive to Vigo. We'll play a softball game. So I was like, okay, sure. This is when I was trying to kind of be sporty. And so we went to Vigo, 15 and under, and we were majority 13-year-olds, one, maybe one or two 14-year-olds, maybe a 15-year-old, but majority 11 and 12-year-olds, like little twerps. And we get there and they have like the most beautiful softball field. It has a, what would you call it? A scoreboard. Dugout? A dug, oh. It has dugouts. It has a scoreboard. It says, welcome to the home of the Vega Stars. I don't think it was electronic, but it was pretty legit because our softball field was just like a dusty patch of, of ground. And the girl, the Vega girls arrived and I'll never forget, they were all 15 going on like 30. They were giant. They had giant boobs and they were just like women. And I was, I just knew I was like, oh my God, we're so toast. And like, we're about to just get creamed. And that is exactly what happened. And I remember feeling really upset and feeling just like the the cards were stacked against me and I, we couldn't win. And I was cheering so hard for the the sweet little 11 year olds, like Oh my gosh. Well, I wonder if part of what made you sign up for the softball game was your love for Dougie because she played softball. Yes, and she was a pitcher. Which yeah, on the field playing ball, you crush them all. On totally. the mound in the, in the range, range promise, promise you'll, you'll never, never change. change. We sing to you in summer oh two. So Dougie was my counselor. That's why I know the, her captain song. Right. right. I was gonna say Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so you know, I think the Vega game was Fun. And I, I learned something important that day that was very on brand for our camp, which is it doesn't matter if you lose. All that matters is to try and have fun. Right. And that is a life lesson that has really sustained me, you know, <laughs> since winning is not necessarily my forte. So I've, I've come to be happy with losing with grace and style. Nice. And after we played the softball game, I think we stayed for for dinner weirdly or lunch. I'm I'm getting the timing of this all messed up, but we had lunch there and it was so nice. They had the nicest salad bar and in the dining room there was this big mural on the wall. And I do I am reporting facts. I don't know if it's still up there, but it says winners and losers. Throughout life, winners look to solve problems and losers look for excuses. Whoa. And I was just like, <laughs> what? And then they had this rumor. This wasn't true, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. That's your disclaimer. They had this rumor that if you lost, you only got you got a mark on your hand, like in marker, and you could only get one serving of dessert. Okay. That's definitely not true. <laughs> but speaking of dessert, I was just thinking about how crazy it was at camp that at least when I was younger at camp and when you were for most of your yep. camperhood – 
Um, they had dessert at lunch twice as a well day, as baby. Twice a day. And like, I guess dessert at lunch is often, you know, Jello or, or fruit or something. And Not then always. the whole life, but Not the whole always. idea. Well, I guess we had dessert on Sundays at lunch, cookies and ice cream, which was really nice. But you know the whole concept of charity dessert too, which was that you would skip dessert at lunch for a week and then that money would be donated to a charitable cause that the camp would vote on. My, I want to say first or second year at camp, I raised my hand in the assembly where we talk about, where we pitch ideas of what charity we want to give our dessert money to. And I I pitched, I think we should do the Jay Monahan Center. And I talked about my dad, our dad, and, you know, how he died of cancer at such a young age. And, you know, that colorectal cancer is one of the easiest to cure if it's if it's um, caught early. And anyway, we ended up giving the money that year to the Jay Monahan Center. And I think the director wrote mom a really nice note about it. Is that the story? Yeah. Is that what you were thinking? Of? Which is actually on, yeah, which is actually on display at the Monahan Center, by the way, the letter about how sometimes as camp directors, we witness you know, amazing moments of personal growth. And this was one of them for you when you stood up and talked about that. So that was cool. There were so many moments of amazing personal growth. I mean, what a, what a gift we were given. Thank you so much, mom, for sending us to camp. It was one of the best decisions ever. Yeah. Agree. Clearly. (laughs) We loved it. We still love it. Sometimes I think about though, you know, in the past two years, really, which I know is trite, and I think on some level I'd been thinking about this before, but especially in 2020, I don't know, I started to think about, you know, what a privilege camp is, and I know that sounds obvious, and camp, especially since we were campers, and even over the course of when we were campers, tuition got has gotten so much more Mm. expensive Mm -hmm. and it's so prohibitive in that way and you know in the last episode we talked about camp as as this you know de facto Jewish place for upper you know it started for upper middle class Jewish girls you know trying to assimilate or become Americanized but camp you know by virtue of how much it costs Mm-hmm. is so prohibitive mm-hmm. and so homogenous too. I mean, yeah. I always think it's so funny that scene in the camp video where <laughs> that girl, Laura, she's giving a speech during Sunday services. She says something like, individuality, think of yourself for a second. What makes <laughs> you, you? <laughs> and then they also have this girl, Remember Mm -hmm. her? Wasn't she your year? Yep. She says, because I love myself, I can feel happy surrounded by all different kinds of people. And I get what she's saying, but then it it pans out to the audience and it's just like all girls who look exactly the same. All white girls who, who, by the way, are dressed all in white for Sunday services. Yeah, but (laughs) it's just, you know, it's so homogenous. And when I was a counselor, I remember – I think at some point, maybe it was packing day or, or maybe it was after the campers had left and we were helping out with the 95th reunion. My friends and I were in the laundry room going through uh, all these archival photos, which was really fun. But, you know, when we were looking at pictures from 
I think mostly like the 70s and 80s, we noticed a lot of, or at least in the pictures, there were a number of black campers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was less homogenous for a period of time. And I ended up talking to my camp director about it, like, you know, what changed or like what was going on during that period. That was sort of a, a period of transitional leadership that ultimately caused a riff in who was running camp, mm. as you might remember, mm-hmm. that led to the establishment of another camp with almost the same name, but that is not run by the same people. Anyways, I think in like the 80s and 90s, the person who was the daughter of our camp matriarch, she really put a premium on providing scholarships and giving you know, girls who wouldn't necessarily be able to pay camp tuition access to camp, which I think is really wonderful. And I talked to our camp director, like, why don't we really don't seem to do that anymore? Mm -hmm. And she said it just like didn't work with the camp business model. And that was really disappointing. And I thought about that a lot, like who has access to this place that was so amazing for us and so identity forming and, Mm -hmm. and and such full of so many wonderful memories for us. Like we always say it's the best gift that our mom ever gave us was sending us to our camp. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking a lot that summer about my experience at places like Spence and Trinity, which, you know, provide scholarships, but, I mean, they're pretty few and far between. And all of these schools, these private schools, just like private colleges, like all they care about is their endowment and competing with other schools and having the best facilities. And Mm -hmm. Trinity just cares about having, you know, a nicer campus than Dalton and buying new buildings. Like why does Spence need that many buildings? And I'm so – maybe because I don't have the same attachment to those places. I mean – definitely not to Trinity that I, I never give to Trinity. Like I'm sure you don't care because I feel like, well, you know, almost from like an abolitionist perspective and it's crazy to be saying this in the context of this episode, but I don't feel like places like Trinity or Spence really should exist because they're so prohibitive because I, I I don't know. I mean, there's something seriously wrong. I mean, right. read, read the Kate, Caitlin right. Flanagan. Atlantic private case. schools are truly obscene. I think it's called from yeah. is that from 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Great article. And like in a just society, those schools wouldn't need to exist. Right. In a lot of countries, education and healthcare are not seen. They're they're understood as a basic human right. And that's just not the case in this country. And quality education too. You quality know? education like and quality healthcare. <laughs> you know, I, I think people ask. You know, I maybe I shouldn't be. I definitely shouldn't be the one answering this. The people answering this are alumni of color or uh, low income students who graduated from these institutions should be answering this, but. In terms of how to fix, like, Spence or Trinity, like, they just kind of should be abolished, right? In a more just society, that's the end goal. Abolition is the end goal. But I don't know how to feel about 
good because it is so prohibitive and expensive and homogenous. Mm-hmm. But it also is a place I have so much right. affection for, and it's a huge huge part of who I am and well, a huge I, part of my education in the broader sense, right? Of, course, of, of my right. upbringing. Right. And I don't think places like for should be abolished, but I mean, it's, it's hard to square with how I feel politically. About other very elite sort of places. I, I would say that I think that camp is the perfect place because it is a world unto itself. It is a Closed environment, what are you calling it? Total environment? It's, it's a total environment and everyone's living there. It's it's sort of like a commune. I think it would be the perfect place to have all, you know, all different kinds of people, girls from all different walks of life who look different and sound different and are from different socio- socioeconomic backgrounds because it is such an egalitarian place. Everyone's in the uniform. I know that camp costs a lot and those things cost a lot, but I I think that they should do more with the amount that everyone is paying to have more scholarships, if you can call that that at camp. But I do think that it is the perfect social setting where – you're, you're, you know, first of all, if you're a kid, if you're talking about a private school, you're talking about, you know, kids having to come in from out of borough, out of state sometimes making these long journeys. That is very prohibitive to them becoming, you know, to forging relationships with and friends, friendships with people at those schools. You know what I mean? Because they have to, they have to commute. Um, so you don't have a commute. You don't have Oh, you, your clothes are better than mine. You're not re- you're not comparing yourself in in any of those ways. Or oh, you have the new uh, laptop and I don't. I mean, you're really just you're there with your green shorts and white shirt, and everyone's got their shower caddy and their robe, and that's pretty much it, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I do worry though that in some ways camp and I saw this as when I was a counselor it's harder and harder to filter out the noise and to filter out the outside I don't world know, you know you see who has even things like supergas or like that was a big thing when I was the older half of the bunk line or right. Um, who has the, the the mushy pillow or who has right all this, the stupid stuff who, whose parents are sending crazy and like sending them packages all the time. I I mean, I don't think our mom really sent us packages. Some people would get insane packages all the time. And, you know, obviously they'd be searched for candy and, and all of that. But I don't know. I just hope that camp doesn't change so much in like the magic of, of its way of, I don't know, being an equalizing place. Right. Right. It's easier to be an equalizing place when more or less the girls are coming from equal backgrounds, though, right? Right. Uh, no, absolutely. Well, well, with tuition prices, what they are, I mean, that will guarantee that that is the case, and that right that is. I think a it's real gone bummer. up so much. I mean, I should look up what it is, but I feel like it's something like half of what the tuition is for a full year at like Trinity. Stop. Spence. What? When we went, it was something like five to six, maybe eight at the most, right? 
Like I remember mom being like, this is nice that I'm sending you here. And I know when I was a counselor, I made $2,000 all summer, but I had free room and board. Oh yeah. It's actually one of the biggest regrets of my life that I wasn't, I didn't come back to be a a counselor your senior summer. Really? That was a mistake. I remember I was studying abroad in Croatia and you and I talked on the phone because I think it was my birthday and I got through to you. And I remember talking to you and I remember just feeling like, what am I doing here? And I, but it would have been great to come back and my girls would have been sophomores. I should have come back. I actually really regret that. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I still had a good last summer at camp. No, I know. I I don't mean to say I needed to be there, you know, for you to have a great summer. I just, I, I wanted to be there. Yeah, for myself, absolutely, and for for my girls and for you, of course. What I'm having visions of now is, you know, the end of camp, and we touched on this a bit about how it's really – you really are grieving, and it's especially, you know, you're the oldest age group, and it's your last summer, and we talked about the song and, you know, all of the drama with the seniors, but I'm thinking of at the end of camp, wish boards – And, you know, when you're in the oldest age group in the last week or so of camp, you get something called a wish board and it's this block of wood that has a hole in it for a candle and you're given a set of magic markers and you basically cover the board in images, you know, designs, whatever you want, but it's filled in with writing that you do with magic marker. It's not readable, but it's supposed to be wishes. And if you, someone asks you to sign your wish, their wish board, it's a big deal and you'll never know what it says, but they're just thoughts that they have about you or about camp or your experience together. And then on the last night of camp, after the final campfire, the seniors take their wish boards, you know, with candles on them, they go out in canoes and the rest of the camp watches from the waterfront and they put them on the water while a group of counselors sings a, a song called the the Barker Roll. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a counselor, I did it. Yeah, me too. I mean, <laughs> not that I have a good singing voice. It, it is truly one of the most touching and beautiful nights at camp, I will say. Watching the seniors go out in canoes and, you know, take their wishboards and light a candle and set them. I, I really think it's beautiful. I do wonder where the wishboards end up and if they just get thrown out. I know. I guess they just wash up somewhere. But the idea is that when you put it in into the lake, your wishes dissolve into the lake and your wishes are forever a part of camp. I think it's a really beautiful image. And I know it was always such an honor if a senior asked you, you know, will you sign my wishboard? Because there's only so much surface area to cover. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know what happens though if there's inclement weather and they can't go out in the canoes and last campfire has to be indoors in the lodge? I actually think this is really beautiful too, but instead of putting the wishboards on the lake, they're burned and and there's, you know, the fire in the lodge and the fireplace and the seniors burn them and it's supposed to be like their wishes dissipate into smoke <laughs> and go all over camp because the lodge is in the center of camp. I've actually never witnessed a ceremony like that, but it sounds really beautiful and, and fitting. And Have I'm, you not? I thought in 2004 that that happened. 
Not that I no? remember. Okay. I, I, I mean, saw it as a camper one time. It's it's so beautiful though, wherever it takes place. And now I'm getting anxiety because I'm like, what I, I'm trying to, I remember my wishboard. I remember half of it was of senior rock and it was of a sunset. And then the other half was, you know, I split into four quadrants and it was all the things I liked to do, but I am having a hard time picturing it. And I'm realizing that you know, when I went to camp, it was sort of the space between only having disposable camera cameras. It was sort of the birth of the digital camera, but it was pre iCloud. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I wonder where those photos are. And I wonder how I will ever get them if, if I can ever get them. I actually have a pictures of my wish board on Facebook. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I deleted my, I deleted my Facebook but yeah, that's sort of sad that we were, we were that, we were, especially I was that age group that, you know, we didn't, it was like the birth of the digital camera. And so we didn't have physical copies of everything. Well, so now I'm I freaking out. I think it's out. nice, actually. I think it's nice. Yeah. Good. It's just in my memory. But yeah, I think it's so beautiful. And in a much smaller way, we continued the camp tradition last summer when I got married at a venue that, is, was a former summer camp uh, in upstate New York or Western New York. And that, you know, obviously is a very different vibe than our camp, but I think it felt very fitting and special to me and to us because it was this total environment where everyone I loved was all there and staying on site for the most part. And there's just that feeling of, just comfort and knowing that your friends are right there and mischief and fun. And it was beautiful and really brought things full circle for me. We're sorry you're going. We hope you come again. We pray for your coming in sunshine or in rain. For if you don't come for long, our hankies will be damned. So hurry up and come back to Redacted camp. So long. Farewell. Farewell. We, we hope to see you soon. soon. She got spirit. She got us here. That's because she's my big yeah. sister. Yay, yeah. Ellie. It's your sister. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. TBD. Please donate to abortion funds. Please. Yes. We will aid and abet abortion. Please. It's your sister. Bye. <laughs>